Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul wrote, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. The Apostle Paul spoke about the Romans, and he spoke about them in the context of their faith being proclaimed throughout all the world. And so while he had not been there, he had never met them, he had never gone there to speak to them about the living God and the one who he had sent. Paul had not yet had the opportunity to do that, but even though he had not, he had heard of the faith of the people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that their faith was spoken of throughout the world. Now, there are many people today who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But of those people who believe in him as the Messiah, to what degree, to what extent is their faith spoken of throughout the world? To what extent are people known? To what extent are they spoken of? People are known because of what they believe. People are known because of the effect of their beliefs in their life. For example, in some countries in the world today, the Christians are experiencing a significant amount of persecution. And we hear of their faith. Their faith is often spoken of throughout the world. Why? Because it has enough meaning to them that they are willing to stand up and believe the truth. They are willing to believe the truth to the extent that they are willing to experience significant persecution, even to the point of death. That that is the kind of faith that we speak of. We don't generally speak of the kind of faith that people have out of convenience or out of just wanting to become a part of a club. We don't speak of those people's faith. We speak of the faith that has meaning, has meaning to the extent where it is expressed in a person's life, in the way that they live, in the way that they respond to adversities and struggles. It is in the struggles of life that the faith that a person has can really be tested to see if you really believe what you say that you believe, to see if it truly is the truth, if it is real, if it is real enough that you are willing to die for it, that you are willing to be persecuted for it, That's the kind of faith that we hear about. Now, I personally don't believe that he was referring to the persecution that they were receiving. It's my belief that he was referring to their maturity. He was referring to the manifestations of their beliefs. Because if you continue to read, for example, in verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, 
both yours and mine. In other words, he certainly was hoping to go there so that he could give what he had to them, but he was also wanting to go there so that he could experience their faith and what they had to give to him, that they could be mutually encouraged. To me, this is a statement that there was a degree of maturity that was expressed by these believers. And it didn't have to be the kind of maturity that is expressed in the context of persecution. It can simply be the kind of maturity that is expressed in the context of conviction, that a person would have conviction. Now, for a person to have conviction to the extent where there would be a manifestation, a manifestation of the living God, I don't think that this is something that somebody can just generate out of their commitment, out of their determination, out of their desire. For a true manifestation of God to take place within and through an individual, there has to be a greater sense of maturity beyond just the fundamentals of I believe and I am committed. I truly believe that this describes a people who understood the grace of God, who understood the differences between law and grace, perhaps not to the extent that the Apostle Paul understood it, but at least enough that they knew that they had to live a life of dependency on their God, that these were people who at least embraced a little bit of his grace and mercy, that they were resting and trusting in the forgiveness that he had given to them, and that this was manifested in their hearts in such a way that people could see the living God doing a work within them and that that would be something that could be testified of, that that's something that's worth talking about. You know, it's one thing to talk about somebody who just simply goes to a church and visits there, sings the songs, listens to the messages, volunteers for this or that. That's one thing. But there's something else about an individual who truly trusts in their God in such a way and knows the truth in such a way that he begins to do a work in their hearts, a work in such a way that they are changed, that they are transformed from the inside, in such a way that you know that it had to be divine intervention. That's something to speak of. Otherwise, you might as well talk about the person who joins the boating club or the person who joins the chess club or some other club, because in many cases, that's what churches are. In many cases, churches are nothing more than another club. It's a social club for many people. But this is not about a church. This is about a people, a people who have conviction, who are depending on their God, who are learning about who he is, and that there is a manifestation in such a way that people would speak about their faith as they would go throughout the world. And not just in the context of, oh, by the way, there's a church over in Rome. No, there is not just a church in Rome. There are people in Rome. There are people who are growing to know their God. Now, Paul speaks about praying unceasingly, then he mentions them unceasingly. In verse 9, he says, For God whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Now, what does he mean unceasingly? I mean, does that mean that he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, that he doesn't go shopping? I mean, what does that really mean? There are many people who would look at that and say, My goodness, he prays unceasingly in the sense that he never stops praying, especially about the Romans. I personally don't think that that's what he was intending to say. It's my opinion that he was just saying this 
in such a way as to say that he was praying with conviction, with sincerity, and that they were often on his mind. Not to say that he did nothing else. I think it can be very easy for people to read that and make the assumption, my goodness, here's a person who never stops praying to do anything else. If that was the case, when would he have an opportunity to tell people about the gospel? I honestly don't think that that's what he was saying. I think that he was saying that only to exaggerate the point that they were on his mind, that they were in his heart as he was wanting to know them, as he was wanting to visit with them, as he was wanting to encounter them. In verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Now, for their faith to be spoken of throughout the world would mean that they had a certain degree of establishment. There would be some establishment of some kind. I personally do not believe that they would not be established if he never arrived. I don't believe that that's what he was intending to say. If you go on into verse 12, he says that I may be encouraged together with you, not to say that they would not be established unless he arrived, but only to say that he wanted to participate in their faith, in their lives. He wanted to be a part of their lives. He wanted to give them what he had with hope that perhaps what he had would be of value to them. Now, he speaks about this in the context of some spiritual gift, and there are many different beliefs that people have concerning the spiritual gifts. Sometimes people ask me questions about spiritual gifts, and one of the approaches that people take when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts is to take a test. That's one way that people handle it. Whereas there are tests that are made available that you can take this test and you can answer certain questions. And at the end of this test, we can tally up a certain score and then we can determine what your gifts probably are. Now, what I find quite interesting about this is that you certainly don't have to be saved to take this test. You can be lost. You can totally reject the existence of God. You can still take this test and you can get a tally. You can get a score concerning this test. And we can identify the spiritual gifts that you have that you can use in the church if you get saved. But if you can't, then you're going to have to probably use those in the world, I suppose. No, that's not the kind of spiritual gifts that I believe the Lord speaks of when he is talking about spiritual gifts. It's my belief that the gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit, that it is the Spirit who gives, and that he may use us as conduits, in a sense, to give something to someone else. But it's not my belief that he gives us spiritual gifts and so that we can enjoy them ourselves, but that these gifts that he is speaking of have to do with the manifestation of the living God within us as we are relating to each other. And what these gifts are can be difficult to say. I mean, in one case, the Lord may work within and through you in one way, but in another case, he may work within and through you in another way. Now, I certainly am not going to try to give you a complete study on the subject of spiritual gifts. All I want to say in this program is that the spiritual gift that is given by the Holy Spirit is something that is given to someone else within and through you, and that this can be different depending upon the person or the circumstances, the situations. I do not believe that an individual has a unique, specific spiritual gift, and that that is the gift that they manifest throughout their life, and that they can manifest no other, or maybe one more. 
maybe we'll let them do one more in some cases. I don't, I don't really believe that. There are many people who do, but I just don't share in that. I personally believe that this is a description of an interactive experience that we have with our God while we are interacting with other people. And I'm not going to talk about this subject any more than that, because the issue is not the gift. The issue is the people, and the issue is our God, that this is a way that we communicate with each other, that we can experience some sense of fellowship with one another. But the point of the matter is not to describe the manifestation of the gift, but instead it is to just simply describe the circumstances of having fellowship with someone else while our God speaks to us within and through us. I personally believe that that's what he's referring to. And that the establishment is nothing more than encouragement in verse 12. That is, that we may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, it can be very difficult to be encouraged by someone else's faith unless they believe the same things that you believe. It can be very difficult to experience that. Perhaps you know some people who don't really believe in the Lord in the same way that you believe in the Lord. There are many people in the world and there are many different beliefs, especially within the scope of Christianity. And it's very difficult sometimes to have fellowship To enjoy spending time with an individual can be very difficult unless you both agree on some things. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that you believe that when Jesus died for all of your sins, he died for all of your sins. And that when he died for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the world. In other words, you believe that he died for your sins, who are saved, and he also died for the sins of the people who are lost, to the extent that he no longer relates to us on the basis of our sin anymore. If you believe that, and then you spend some time with someone else who does not believe that, they really believe that he holds the sins of the people in the world against them. He holds their sins against them. He finds opportunities and takes advantage of those opportunities to punish people for their sins. And he intervenes in the lives of people to make sure that they don't experience any successes, any blessings, any positive opportunities of any kind, because he doesn't want them to enjoy the world that he has created in any way whatsoever, because he wants them to be driven to the point of total desperation, so that perhaps they might turn to him and ask him for his forgiveness, that this is an attitude that some people have. And they also may believe that if you are a Christian, if you have been born again, then he may still hold your sins against you still. They may believe that. And so how are you going to have fellowship with an individual when they don't believe that they have really been forgiven, that in reality they still believe that he will hold some of their sins against them? What does that look like? What is What is that going to be like to sit down and try to be encouraged by someone who is going to tell you repeatedly in various creative ways that God holds your sins against you? How encouraged are you going to feel by someone like that? I personally have friends like this. I do. I have friends who believe that God is following us around waiting for an opportunity to beat us for the sins that we commit 
until we stop committing those sins. I have friends like this, and I spend time with them on occasion. And I can tell you that when I'm done visiting with them and spending time with them, I don't feel very encouraged. I don't. I don't feel very encouraged by them at all. I often feel quite depressed. Because if that was true, if what they believe is really true, if I was to really be committed to the belief that I don't think that they are fully committed to, if I was to be fully committed to it, then there would be no result but absolute despair. Because when am I ever going to get all of this in out of my life? It's never going to happen. And so I have nothing to look forward to but a life of total condemnation, if I was to really be honest and truthful and devoted to what they believe, even though they're not. Because I believe if they were, that they also would be truly living a life of absolute despair. But that's another subject. In this context, I just want to address the issue of being encouraged and having fellowship with other people. You know, it can be very difficult to be encouraged with other people who also believe in Jesus unless you believe in the same things, unless you have the same conclusions, unless you believe the same things about the subjects of forgiveness, of mercy, of law and grace, of blessings and cursings, unless you have similar beliefs, similar beliefs within the overall belief of Jesus being the Messiah, it can be very difficult to be encouraged at all. And so for Paul to say this, it's my belief that he was hearing of their faith and that they believed some things, probably not all things, but at least some things that he believed in. And while they may not be in total agreement about all things, at least they could encourage each other with those few things that they did agree on. And I think this is very important for you to consider. I think it's very important to consider that not everybody's going to believe everything that you believe and that it's okay because if that was the case, then everyone would be complete and perfect in their faith in all aspects and the work of the Lord would be totally finished, of course, in everybody's life. I don't believe that he relates to us in that way and that he allows us to go through transitions of growth and maturity And so if he allows us to go through that, that we should allow others to go through that too. And if you will acknowledge this, if you will have some discernment concerning this, then it can be much easier for you to expand the scope of your fellowship, at least to a certain degree, whereas you can meet with other people and you can at least be encouraged by those things that you do agree on and to embrace those things, and to be thankful for those things. And for those things that you disagree on, find ways of having pleasant conversations concerning those issues, concerning those topics. Find ways of doing that, because some of these things you might be wrong on, and some of these things they might be wrong on. Or for some of these things, you both might be wrong. If you disagree, you certainly both can't be right, You both might be wrong, but you definitely can't both be right. But either way, if you have an opportunity to have discussions about these things, then this often opens doors. It often provides the Lord an opportunity to work within a person's heart in a way that he couldn't do otherwise. And he can speak to us. He can speak to them. He can speak to people in such a way that he can use these discussions as opportunities to reveal something to individuals, if not at that moment, perhaps a day later or a week later, or a year later, who knows? I do know, though, that the Lord has 
worked in people's lives in this context. And so do not isolate yourself from people if you don't agree with everything that they believe in. If you don't agree with everything, then just understand that. Have an understanding. Have some discernment. One of the ways I deal with it is that when people disagree with me, I'll often respond by saying, you know, I appreciate that. I understand that. I believe I know what you're talking about. I believe I've got a good grip, a good understanding of what you believe. I'll even repeat it back to them to confirm that I do understand what they believe. And then I will usually follow it up with, I'm not sure about that right now. I will definitely give that some more thought, some more prayer, some more consideration. Pray for me in the meantime. That's one pleasant way of dealing with that subject. Other times I can be very aggressive about these issues and I'll say things like, you know, I have given that a lot of thought and I've considered that for years and I just see no way that I can possibly agree with that belief that you have just described. I really don't. I see no way that that can possibly be of God at all. And in other cases, I've just simply told people, I believe that that is a lie of the devil. And so there are wonderful opportunities to address these issues in a variety of ways. My point, however, is to let you know that not everyone is going to agree with you. You should anticipate this and expect this and enjoy this. And in the midst of that, still find ways of having fellowship with other people as you can in the best way you can. Now, I do know people who do agree with me when it comes to many things, who do agree with me when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to the relationship that our God has called us to. And I can tell you with great conviction that that kind of fellowship, the kind of fellowship that I get to experience when I encounter someone who believes in the gospel as I do, who believes in the relationship that our God has called us to as I do and is experiencing it, When I experience fellowship with an individual like that, I am definitely encouraged. And I really do appreciate the value of that. And I experience that a lot. And I would certainly want to encourage you also to pursue opportunities to meet with people and to be encouraged in that way, if not on a weekly basis, maybe on a monthly basis or on a biannual basis or even on an annual basis. In some way, find ways of having fellowship with other people, with people who are what we call like-minded, so that you can be encouraged by each other's faith, because each other's faith is true. It means something. It means a lot when it is defined on the basis of the truth that our God has revealed to us. In verse 13, Paul says that I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. He uses the word fruit in the same way that he used the word gift. And again, I don't want you to be distracted by that word, because the issue is not the fruit itself. If the issue is the fruit, then we might as well spend our lives being fruit inspectors and look at each other and study each other and figure out, now, is there any fruit on you at all? Is there any fruit in your life? I want to see it because I'm not going to be encouraged otherwise. I don't believe that that's what he was intending to say, although I do understand that a lot of people are like that. The fruit of the Spirit is what I believe he is referring to, and in the same context as the gifts, as the gifts of the Spirit. But just as I describe the gifts of the Spirit as being a manifestation of the Spirit, so also the fruit of the Spirit is a manifestation 
of the Spirit. It is not a manifestation of you. There is no reason for anyone to be inspecting the fruit that people may have in their lives. To me, there is just simply no such thing. It's my belief that the idea that people might have fruit that you could inspect is total fantasy. I really believe it's total fantasy. The fruit of the Spirit is a manifestation of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's fruit, not mine, not yours. It is His. And if it is ever revealed, it is a miracle of God. It is a sign. It is a wonder. It is in that category, at least. It is something that is divine in nature. It is a divine manifestation. And while he does do a work in people's lives all the time, for us to be comparing ourselves for the presence or the absence of the fruit of the Spirit or of the gifts of the Spirit, to me, is totally meaningless. Because if I spend time with an individual and there is no gift of the Spirit that is revealed, And there is no fruit of the Spirit that is revealed. Does that mean I'm going to be discouraged? Am I going to be discouraged because I know that this individual believes in the same God who I believe in, and yet I didn't get to experience any fruit of the Spirit through them? Am I going to be disappointed over that? Of course not. I understand that this is a divine manifestation. And if it is never revealed, it is not my concern. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with him. It is the living God. Listen, if the fruit of the Spirit is manifested within and through me one time in my lifetime, to me, that is adequate. If it is never manifested in my lifetime, to me it is adequate. Because the issue is not myself, the issue is him. I am not interested in the magnitude or the comparisons that people are often consumed with. And yes, that's a little bit of a pun when it comes to fruit and consumption. I am not interested in those things. What I am interested in is, do you know your God? Are you at peace? Are you at rest? Can we enjoy the rest that our God has called us to and have a time of fellowship where we are thankful and we can be encouraged by the thankfulness and the peace of another person who believes in the same God who we believe in. And we should be thankful for whatever the Lord does in our lives. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net